Welcome to the See Me Now podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, here with my co-host, Caitlin Birdsall, and we are joined today by Colorado Mesa University Assistant Professor of Mass Communication, Dr. James Perez. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Now, you obviously teach mass comm here at CMU, but you were a, a music major. Tell us about that. How did how did you get into music and and what was that path to, to moving into mass comm? Uh, well, I grew up in Los Angeles, so there were so many great bands coming out at that time. And uh, I was next to Hollywood, so I played all the clubs out there and I was just very interested in pursuing a musical dream. Uh, I was... Oh, it was about three years or so of being a music major. And then my parents, they they finally said, you're not going to make any money doing this. Maybe you should start pursuing something else. And uh, because I was interested in music, I was also interested in writing lyrics. So that shifted into poetry, that shifted into English. Uh, and then I, I eventually became very interested in how mass media works in terms of promoting or producing musical acts. And that's how I landed in communication. So is it almost like a... A love of language, you know, because music is its own type of, of language and you just kind of shifted in that way? Oh, yeah, definitely. I uh, I did my master's in linguistics, actually. So that it was very much a love of language and then how language functions in mass media and things like that. So, yeah, definitely. So I have to ask, what was your band that you played in back in the day in L.A.? We were called Figure Eight and uh, we played all of the really famous Hollywood spots, so the Whiskey-A-Go-Go and stuff like that. And uh, I thought it was going to be really, I thought it was going to be different than it was. It's, uh, th they literally shove you off the stage when you're done. And I remember having to have my, my bass amp and my bass. I was there on Sunset Boulevard and trying to find parking. It's uh, not very glamorous. So that's when I knew it wasn't for me. But, you, know. you, you kind of expect like this, just the audience erupting and clapping and throwing roses at you. And really they're like, get off, we're moving to the next act. Oh yeah, that's, and they would get uh, a little inebriated at times and they'd throw things at you. That wasn't very much fun. Oh but no. I know, it happens though. You, it comes with the territory. So do you still play music to this day? Do you still play an instrument or sing? Or has that kind of been a chapter of your past? Uh, no, I still play bass to this day. Um, I, I play bass at my church actually. So I, I only do that every... A few times a month, so not the level I was playing before, but yeah, still play every once in a while, yeah. And this isn't actually the first time you've been recorded with a microphone like this. <laughs> you you worked in radio before, is that I, right? I did work in radio a little bit in Los Angeles, just here and there, um, being recorded uh, about my band or the band I was in, and also just doing really quick sweepers, and you're listening to Y107, and things like that. So, yeah. You got that radio radio voice. <laughs> <laughs> I, try, I try. Thank you. <laughs> so November is first generation month where, mm. you know, we celebrate all of our first generation students, faculty, staff. And we're also a first generation serving institution. And you are yourself a first generation um, student. Can you talk to us about your journey as a first generation student? And especially since you reached the pinnacle of higher education? Yeah. Um, my parents had always instilled in me, you need to go to college. Um, not only that, you need to speak English properly. Uh, both of them have accents, uh, immigrated from Mexico. Uh, so it was always instilled in me how important education is, 
Uh, and I think that's why they they really, really pushed me to do that. I mean, with that comes its own set of issues. I, I, my Spanish was not very good at all. I spoke it more growing up. But um, but like you said, you know, they are proud that me and my siblings have have gotten higher higher education degrees, and uh, that's ultimately what they wanted. Yeah. Are you able to use some of your experiences as a first-generation student in the classroom since we do have such a high population of first-generation students? Do you find you're able to connect with students in a different way? Yeah, definitely. Um, we just had a big advising session, group advising session for mass comm students. Uh, this was a couple of weeks ago. And registration. Is registration already started? Yeah, I guess it already has. Um, I should know that. But uh, just helping them kind of navigate through choosing the correct courses. Uh, it's definitely a big thing because I knew nothing about what it meant to get a degree or what classes I needed to take or anything like that. So yeah, definitely. What would you say was um, one of the best experiences for you in the classroom working with someone who is a first generation student? I mean, I know it has its unique challenges. Sure. Um, you know, one of the, you, believe it or not, I do get students from Los Angeles and that are from either very close to my hometown or my home city was Whittier. That's where I was born and raised and uh, from neighboring cities and a lot of Latinos as well. And uh, it's selfish to say, but you do connect with them a little more because you're from the same place, same kind of background, same kind of struggles. Um, and I think those are, and, and a lot of them uh, had a, a student uh, just last year getting into radio. Uh, so I, I connected with her and, you know, really tried to help her find the right classes and graduate in time. So it was those kinds of experiences. Yeah. Well, and I guess, too, a lot of people talk about, you know, when you can see yourself in someone else, you know, it's like I think reverse. They see you as this, you know, this person who got their doctorate and they're thriving and they're teaching the next generation. And so for them, they think, OK, yeah, this is tough right now, but I can get through it and it's possible. Yeah, there's definitely that as well. Um, I, I hope I, they never say it explicitly, so it's hard to tell if you're having an impact or not. But I, I guess I'd like to think so, maybe if they see a bit of themselves in you as well. So, yeah. So when you were pursuing your doctorate, you wrote your dissertation on a really interesting subject to me. And this has been a research interest of yours of that performance and dissemination of justice in reality and social media. I'm wondering what led you to that as a research interest and what were some of the findings you had? Uh, yeah, when I first started doing my graduate degree, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was just interested in language and music. Um, and when I was in grad school, I, I spent a lot of time reading and I always have the TV on in the background. I watched a lot of Judge Judy and Judge Mathis and those other judge shows. But then I really started to develop a, a love for them. I started watching them religiously every day. Uh, and I noticed there was a lot of humor in, in the courtrooms. And uh, I started noticing that that humor started disseminating into actual court cases and actual courtrooms when I served jury duty, for instance, in California. I've noticed that uh, people have wanted their judges to be a little more performative. Um, so it's kind of, I guess, the uh, life imitates art type of scenario that's been going on with the, the courtrooms. And um, they're still hugely popular. So I, I guess there's something to them that people really enjoy watching. Yeah. Which is interesting because it seems like such a juxtaposition. Because when I think of, you know, a courtroom in our judicial system, it seems very strict, very straightforward, very by the 
by the book. And then, yeah, you watch these reality TV shows that include and follow judges. And it's quite the opposite. (laughs) Yeah. And there's tons of YouTube clips where judges get really upset and they'll start yelling. They'll throw around a bunch of four-letter words or they'll make jokes about, which you shouldn't as a judge. You're not allowed to make jokes about litigants, but, but they do and they get away with it. So, yeah. In the classroom, you guys talk a lot about law and ethics and the First Amendment. Uh, I think before we went on air, you were kind of saying how students were surprised by what is allowed when it comes to, to free speech. Can you elaborate on that and and what those conversations in the classroom look like? Yeah, a lot of times we'll talk. I mean, we were talking about uh, the Westboro Baptist Church just last week, and they, they protest uh, funerals uh, of fallen soldiers. And People say that isn't that illegal. I'm like, no, that's in your First Amendment right. And they are surprised. There's not more of a, I guess, a gatekeeping of language. You know, how are people in America allowed to say this? And I think that's always the, the question that comes up um, because there's very minimal amounts of speech that are prohibited, like hate speech, or you can't yell fire in, in a, you know, in a building or things like that. But for the most part, that speech is allowed. Teaching mass media, I'm sure um, the last, you know, few years have been quite exciting (laughs) and there's been a lot of talk around, yeah, what, what does truth mean and what, what does truth play? Like, does it play a role in media today? And what is that line of, of maybe stretching the truth? Do you guys talk about that? We do. We talk, I I teach a class in public relations. We talk a lot about spinning the, the truth, um, because you can't lie, but you can stretch it a lot. And uh, students are always really surprised. I, th- I think maybe in the past five years, I think especially with the 2016 election, that just kind of blew things up a lot. So, yeah. And biases have always been seen in media. I mean, that's not that's not new. Um, but I think the world today and how, I mean, the amount, the volume of news that we're receiving and how we're receiving it has really changed very quickly. How are you evolving in the classroom with all the all the new up and coming technology and all the ways that people consume media? I have to keep up to date. I, I had to get a, a Be Real, the app. I don't know if either of you use that, but I had to get that to keep up with my students, such as to keep up how it works. I mean, remember when I first got an Instagram account, my students were pushing me, you need to get on all these social media platforms just to understand how they work, number one, but also understand how they're getting their news because news is curated by all of these platforms. And a lot of times they'll say, oh, I just get my news on the Apple app. And I'm like, well, that's good, but you need to go beyond that as well to get, like you said, a, a more full picture of what's going on and truth and things like that. So, yeah. So with teaching in our mass communication program, like you said, you're very well versed in all of the different mediums. So you've got your traditional as far as print and radio and television, and then you have your new media like TikTok and Instagram and OTT. Do you tend personally to lean towards one or the other of your source of information, or do you find that it's a healthier balance to have a couple different mediums that you're using? Uh, I usually go through uh, several different mediums. I'll I'll look online at the Associated Press, and then I look at the big news organizations like a CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. Uh, that's where I go to first. And then uh, for smaller stories, I'll, I'll go to Reddit, which I know is not the the best place to go for news, but it gives me a better idea of what my students might be seeing. 
I like that, that you're putting yourself in these different experiences and, you know, getting involved in these different mediums that our students are using today because it's changing rapidly. It is. Yeah. Very different. And I feel out of place a lot of times, um, but such is life. You know, my, yeah, such as getting older. I feel I, that too. Yes, I'm I that feel... millennial on TikTok, but I love TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Can you kind of go into all the different experiences that students get, the hands-on experiences? I mean, we have a lot of marketing and PR agencies here in Grand Junction, as well as you know, local media like the Daily Sentinel, KKCO, KREX, and um, you know, KFM, and so on. Do your students get those hands-on opportunities where they're actually going to intern or you're having guest speakers come to class? What does that look like? Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll oversee the, I oversee the internships and we work with a lot of uh, organizations here. Like you mentioned, the PR agency, Growl, KFM. Um, and uh, students aren't only uh, limited to Grand Junction. A lot of times over the summer, they'll go back home. A lot of students live in Denver or, or out of state and they'll do internships there with larger news organizations or larger PR organizations. So that, that gives them a, a lot of opportunities. Um, sometimes they'll even go internationally. I had students work in Europe, for instance, doing PR. So, yeah. So after you received your undergraduate and graduate degrees, then you obviously entered the profession of teaching the next generation. What was it about teaching specifically and maybe CMU specifically that brought you here to Grand Junction? Uh, so when I was doing my, my graduate degree, uh, I was really interested in doing research. And then I found that sitting in an office and just reading a bunch of books really wasn't, uh, that wasn't my passion. So I started doing uh, student teaching at my, my grad school. And uh, I really just developed a love for that interaction with students um, and being able to kind of curate information a certain way and having those conversations with them. And that's when I ultimately wanted to teach. And CMU, I really love the fact that it's a teaching-focused college as opposed to research-based college. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess maybe I could have gone to one of those R1 research-focused colleges, but um, I really love it out here with a smaller student population. I know everyone's name. Um, just having that kind of interaction with students, you know. That deep connection you actually get when you have smaller class sizes, yeah. Yeah, you know, I've taught 300 student lecture halls. I didn't know any of their name. My TAs all knew their names. So that, it's very impersonal. I didn't really care for it very much. But yeah. Well, we're so happy you're here today and um, a part of CMU. So thank you, Dr. Perez, for being here. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you again both for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the CMU Now podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.